What's your carnal theory? Hey there, you're listening to Carnal Theory, where we talk with experts from around the world to learn how taking command of our sexual story affects our personal wellness, sexual experiences, and relationships with ourselves and others. Hello, everyone. I'm Ava. And I'm Amanda. And today in Carnal Theory, we're sitting down with Rafaela Fialo, a therapist and educator who specializes in sex and trauma therapy. Her work centers around pleasure politics, liberation psychology, somatics, and cognitive therapy. She's also the founder of Healing Exchange LLC and the co-founder of Afrosexology, which I really hope to dive in more, to dive more into. Uh, hi, welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm really glad that we're getting to talk at long last. <laughs> it's Thank been quite so a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. So I'm going to love the space that you create with other guests. I'm really excited. So thank you so much for having me. Many, many thanks, Rafaela. Thank you. And, and so with that, to kick things off, to jump into today's carnal theory, which as a reminder, reminder for our guests, or our listeners, um, we ask our guests to bring a carnal theory to the show, and it's meant to be something that challenges a presumption or a perception that we might have, uh, and, and usually linked in regards to our monthly theme. And this month, we're talking about sexual wellness rituals. So we'll ask Rafaela to share her theme now, and then when, uh, as we wrap up the conversation, we'll revisit it, and we'll see if maybe even during this chat, our presumptions or perceptions might have shifted a little bit. So Rafaela, please. Yes. So um, as Amanda said, I am a trauma therapist, sex therapist, and I work with a lot of folks who are experiencing and exploring their healing journey. And so through the course of my work, I've developed this theory that healing work is indeed pleasure work. And I don't know if you want me to say more about it right now or... <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> so Oppression and trauma impact our relationships to pleasure, our relationships with sex, our relationship with people. This looks like the hands of oppression influencing what others determine as appropriate behavior. So like sexual scripts, how people choose to intervene or not intervene in problematic behaviors. So like continuing rape culture, mm -hmm. who is allowed or even encouraged to explore their sexuality. So cis heteronormative thin folks and, you know, who is seen as undesirable or worthy of pleasure. So those other sexual schemas. And I think it's really important to consider those limiting factors so that we are more intentional about challenging them as we resist these oppressive systems and heal from trauma. So in a world that tells us that we do not deserve pleasure, that it will be difficult to access, I think that prioritizing and creating spaces to share and support a different narrative, a narrative around pleasure is is healing. Yes. <laughs> Standing Snaps out. To that. Snaps. And 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 would you would you say in in incorporated in, in all of that that knowing the oppressive oppress what's oppressive upon us, what is taboo around us, that we almost have to know that in order to have a valid, not valid, solid stepping off ground to even start to create solutions. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very helpful, but what's also important is knowing what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. So you may not have the name for it, and that can be part of the validation piece. Like, oh, there is this thing that exists. Um, it's not just me. Um, there's nothing wrong with me because oftentimes we're feeling things in our body and we're just like, well, there's something wrong with me because that's the messages that I'm getting. So I think first is just listening and being aware to that thing, that difference, that pain, that confusion that we are experiencing. And then when we come across a name, either through social media, through working with a therapist, through breaking the silence and having conversations and getting that affirmation and validation, that's like a cherry on top. But I, it's so important to get people to listen to our bodies because we are so used to the silencing. I mean, from from childhood, right? We're taught that we don't know how much food we want to eat, right? We are forced to eat food, <laughs> yep. right? Um, we don't know what clothes we want to wear. We have to listen to other. So, like over, we're, we're kissing adults, or hugging people, sharing toys. So, from very on, like we're socialized to be polite in ways that dishonor or, or doesn't forces us not to listen to our body, and so. But this is the work of being intentional about pleasure in a way that allows you to honor that system. Mm. So I guess let's start with a few definitions. What do you define healing work as versus pleasure work? Because if they if healing work is pleasure work, how might we see both of these terms in a in a more specific sense or maybe just broader sense? Mm-hmm. So when I think of healing, one, it's forever, right? Mm-hmm. There's no point of arrival where you're like, oh, I'm done. I've done all the things. I'm no longer triggered. You know, these types of situations no longer piss me off. I can date this type of person and not, whatever the case is. That may never happen, right? Mm-hmm. So I think of healing as being in tune and in touch with some of these experiences, some of these bodily um, responses, Mm-hmm. And then being able to address it and respond to it in a way that feels good to you, that isn't completely destabilizing, mm-hmm. that isn't completely dysregulating and unnerving, mm-hmm. but even recognizing and being gracious with yourself that if it does still happen from the time to time, that too is okay. Mm-hmm. So I look at healing as developing another concept of being, in being, as opposed to feeling like... Um, you know, something is inherently wrong because I've had this experience. Yeah. And then from there, you know, once you have more tools to try to address these situations, then we can kind of look at how the impact can be minimized. Um, but I think just changing that relationship to that experience is really, really important in the healing journey. And then pleasure. I mean, we can look at pleasure in so many different ways. <laughs> yes. Everything we talk about, of course, is... Um, you know, what feels good to your skin, to the senses you have access to, to the senses you find the most pleasure in, right? So for me, my smell, my sense of smell can be just, because my allergies can be not not apparent, or it can be so hypersensitive that I'm just like, what is happening? I'm not enjoying this, right? So I tend to really find solace in like sound. I love music. I love nature, taste. I love to cook. I love to eat, right? visual, love to read. I like to be outside. So it's not only just, um, I think right now in this moment, we have a lot of tune into your senses, which is great, but also like to take it a step further by asking, which ones do you enjoy the most? Which ones may be difficult for you and why? Is that an area you want to unpack? 
And so kind of taking it slow like that, but also looking at the different core components of self-care. You're looking at social, psychological, physical, financial, sexual, all those different things and finding the pleasurable aspects in them. So that way you can prioritize it in a way that you have it more. So I remember this commercial, it's like this little kid, it's like, when you really like something, you want it more. (laughs) And so I'm the same way. I'm like, when you like things, why are we restricting or limiting our access to it? Where is this philosophy or ideology that we have to earn it, that we have to do a certain amount of things before we can say that it's ours or that we can attain it? So I'm definitely of the mindset that you deserve pleasure because you are in this world. (laughs) And to get really close um, with yourself and understand the things that make you feel good so that way you can be more intentional about making sure you have it. So if I know that, I love, you know, I'm looking around my room like what? Um, if you know that you love a certain fragrance, like how can you have that with you at all times as often as possible? And uh, I remember working with a client where they, um, I had them douse like a cotton ball and put it in a Ziploc bag mm-hmm. because they can't have candles at work. Well, this is when clearly before we were, you know, but some people are, so I don't <laughs> want to that. But <laughs> whenever they were feeling hyper aroused or stressed or just say something happened at work where they just weren't feeling good, they could take it out and they could smell it and enjoy whatever that, that lavender, right? So, so oftentimes we know what we like, but we feel like it's not accessible in every situation. So how can we get a little bit more creative where we could try to have that thing with us mm-hmm. more often than not? I love that so much. We, we, we have a class where in one of the, one of the, segments of it, we focus on creating an environment and how important environment is uh, for setting up like a more pleasurable experience. But somehow I haven't thought of it in the context of healing work because that that is part of what that is, that setting of the environment, whether it's sense or uh, visuals or whatever, that's healing you so that you can have a greater pleasure. I also love that you brought up um, like financials healing your financial troubles or traumas sets you up for greater pleasure. I love that. Love Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) Especially when we're talking about accessibility, right? And not, and I mean, specifically financial accessibility in this context, because in the self-care world, right, it can get so expensive, right? It's like self-care means you have to take a spa day every like once a month or you have to buy this thing or now these people are intentionally because we live in a capitalistic society that's going to you know try to profit and maximize off of these concepts now they're offering like self-care packages that are just so wildly expensive and so I think that yeah we could talk about minimizing debt and da, 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 but I think also just having that peace of mind of knowing where you are what you like and being being intentional about your finances in that way so that way if something does have a cost then a financial cost then that's something that can be attainable to you as opposed to it feeling so out of reach and i love that you brought up accessibility because that's that's been something we've been talking about and and the concept of wellness rituals i think that it's when you either think that a ritual is not accessible either through time or through financial reasons or maybe through just like state of mind where you're currently at in life that you say like, either I can't do those. Those aren't for me. Or like, you don't even consider them as an option, but rituals are accessible and that's part of their power. 
Like we all have the option to just like snap on a ritual if we want to start it. Um, so talking about that a little bit um, more focused, how, how do you see being able to use rituals in starting into healing work that then leads to uh, pleasure work? Yes, I love that you mentioned rituals. I'm all about it. Okay. I think there should be a ritual for everything. If you can. <laughs> I work with couples. I'm like, okay, so what's your ritual as a couple, right? Um, so I love that you mentioned that because when you just historically look at how rituals have shown up over time, people were using things of the earth. People were using, you know, what they had in very creative ways and creating spaces where they could redefine meaning and use it over to, use it over time to see what the power in it was. Right. And so you don't have to buy a damn thing for a ritual. That can just be an added bonus. Right. So a ritual for healing, I can see, say, for example, um, we, we are going back to enjoying the sense of touch and sight. So that could be like a day. I don't know where you are, but I'm in St. Louis, Missouri right now. And it is quite windy outside, but the sun is bright and cool. And so um, going outside for a walk. Right. And allowing to allowing to experience the way that touch is surrounded by me through the wind, right? Mm. Through the feel of the materials on my skin with each walk, right? Through breath, that is a sense of touch as you're breathing. And then also taking in um, the surrounding area. So listening to certain sounds. When I think about meditation, and even my own <laughs> growing relationship with meditation, I used to not meditate because I was like, I can't, I cannot not like focus on the now, right? Yeah. It was so hard for me to not think about other things. I'm just like, am I just supposed to, am I not going um loud enough? Like what exactly is the problem? <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's just not a healing skill for me. Like I just can't do it. And then I realized like, who the hell says that that's what meditation is to be? And why am I forcing myself to do it this way? And then why am I judging myself and saying that I'm doing it wrong? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I was just realizing that my meditation can be to gently pay attention to the random ass thoughts that I have. <laughs> yeah. And then just be playful with that. Right. Just to have that five or 10 minutes to just let my imagination go wild in a confined situation was a form of meditation, right? And so I look at those different things as rituals, but one of my favorite rituals when I'm looking at like steps, things that you do is a bathing ritual, a nighttime ritual. So I'm all about getting my stones and herbs and my candles and rain music and running a bath. And I have like a process where, you know, I'm speaking affirmations into the water and I'm dropping in the Epsom salt and the petals and the flowers and the herbs and all of it means something because I created meaning around it. Right. I've, I, I look at it as like, you know, you have this big cauldron of stuff and I have like a big stick and I'm, <laughs> I'm doing my, my witchery and I'm just stirring up the potion. Right. That's how I look at it. And then um, I use guided imagery with that too, as I literally sit into the bath and I soak into it and I visualize everything washing away from me. So to me, like that's one of my favorite rituals. Um, also have a, a condensed version when I'm showering because, you know, taking baths every day is just not the most accessible for me, <laughs> um, especially thinking about water and all this other stuff. So, you know, how can you also have different variations of your rituals um, depending on where you are? What if you really need a cleansing, healing bath 
or water ritual, but you are at someone else's house or you're at, or you're traveling and there's not a tub or you just don't want to get in that tub because, you know, whatever the situation is. Right. So I think sometimes um, when we are learning these healing, coping, self-care, pleasure skills, we can get really stuck because we've only learned and explored one way. So I definitely challenge people to explore ways to have um, different versions. What's your What's your water ritual version 1.0, 2.0, whatever the case is. Mm. That is something that is not talked about. And I love that so fucking much. This like, cause we're talking about accessible rituals already. So duh, like, yeah, we need, we need the version. We need clear, still the ritual clearly defined, but the version that we can apply to pretty much any situation so that we don't trip up on it. Like, love that. Um, another thing that I want to underline that I really love that you said, because I created meaning out of it. Yes. We were talking about stirring up the bathtub. Like it goes to something that I think is important to underline for people who are either again, uncertain what a ritual is or how or why they would bring it into their own lives. We give meaning to a lot of things all the time. We give meaning to these things called dollar bills. We give meaning into it. And that's the only reason that it holds value. So we give energy transfers all the time of placing power into something. Mm -hmm. So why not place power into something that you can directly get the benefits back from it? So yes, speaking the affirmations into the water, there's viewpoints that water holds feelings and, and thoughts. And when you speak or feel and energies into it, that it holds it and will like keep it inside of it. And if you drink it, you're, you're putting those affirmations into you or good words or whatever, or bad. (laughs) Um, so yeah, we transfer energy all the time. Why not just put meaning into things that benefit you? (laughs) Yes. And and you're so right because one, I just had this conversation. So I'm like, I'm going to think more about this because I think when things continue to come up, it means something to it. Um, but we make, (laughs) it's so interesting the way our brains work, but it's also social conditioning to pay attention to those meanings that make us feel bad. Right. So when we're talking about just negative mood or even depressed mood or whatever the case is, it's because we're putting a hyper-focus on that negative thing, right? Mm -hmm. Our negative thoughts are telling us that, you know, we don't deserve this, that we're worthless, that we're before it even happens, or you're going to be so anxious about this situation, whatever the case is. So what is our role? What is our capability in being able to challenge that, right? And just say, okay, what is another way I can look at this? What is another narrative that I can develop that is going to be maybe less um, anxiety provoking? Why is it that we're far leaning into the side that makes us feel more miserable? Right. And so, I mean, if you're probably familiar with CBT kind of behavioral therapy. And so it's a little bit of that. But I also just think that, you know, we know that words mean things and we create these meanings. So. I'm a fan of always, like, there's so many words that I've just reclaimed or redefined and (laughs) cut stuff out. Like, that doesn't serve me. I'm just going to act like that part doesn't exist. I used to get in trouble for that as a kid all all the time. Like, you can't do that. Why? Who? Who's going to stop me? (laughs) You know, so taking taking some power and taking some accountability and choice that we have where we oftentimes feel like we do not have any choice. So, So many 
so often we feel like things and, and it is right. So many things are happening at us, to us, around us. And we just completely feel at a loss. We feel at the beck and call of these different things. And so taking a moment to just slow down and ask what, what do I have control of in this moment? Even if it's just myself, is it right now is the only thing I can do is breathe and blink. Let me focus on that. Right. Let me breathe yeah. and for a minute and then slow down and then see if I can look at this or just do something differently. Can I leave this space? All right. So, yeah, just slowing down to just think about the power of choice, the power of meaning making in general. Mm. Yes. So we have these this kind of foundation of um, developing a ritual, how and, and a ritual for pleasure work, for healing work. How does this play an essential role in what you have a lot of experience in, which is trauma and sexual trauma? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the first thing to kind of look at is, well, first I want to say this. There's a lot of research that exists that talks about just the way that people experience trauma. Mm -hmm. And so we know that people who experience childhood trauma suffer more daily psychological distress, right? So more moments of worry, anxiety, depressed mood. Um, heightened psychological distress correlates with, you know, lower like inability to or less likelihood to be mindful. Mm -hmm. So not being able to or not wanting to focus on the moment because what if the moment is still traumatic, right? I don't want to be here. Um, and difficulty staying um, mindful in those moments can definitely transfer to how we are or are not mindful during sexual experiences, right? It's very hard to just be like, oh, this moment I'm going to concentrate 100%. And in this moment, this is what I'm going to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <Good> yeah. <laughs> Yes, we'll definitely might, may have some triggers that will make it um, where, where it's just like a one, two, three, like this happens, this happens, this happens. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes when you have experienced a lot of trauma, it's so easy to kind of navigate the world and like in a shadow, mm -hmm. you know? So first I think addressing that is really important. But <clears throat> when looking at pleasure as essential in treating trauma, I think of a few things related to what what happens when someone experiences trauma regarding their access to pleasure, their ability to experience pleasure, mm. their willingness to play, their ideas regarding purpose, like what is their purpose and their desire. And I mean desire, not just sexual desire, but their desire to do, to be, to exist. Right. And so honestly, when I was doing this work and I have worked with varying different like veterans, military, sexual trauma, um, different things like that. And I continuously um, saw this pattern that was really related to purpose, play, pleasure and desire. Mm. And so when you are looking at someone, say, when you have hypervigilance due to your trauma, right, you can, there's not a lot of relaxing. Right. You're just always like, OK, something's going to pop off. I need to be prepared. What is what is this person over here doing? I need to sit with my back towards a wall looking at the door. I need to be prepared. So you don't have a lot of um, energy that's going to be left over to relax and engage in play. 
And we know that play is essential piece in healing, right? It's cre- it helps you be more creative. It helps you connect. It helps you problem solve, right? It helps you move your body if that's the type of play that you're in. And so I think there's also a lot of conversation that needs to have about um, engaging in more playful activity with yourself and with other people as a part of healing, as part of trauma. And then um, looking at the way that we experience ourselves after the trauma. What is our meaning of our life, our meaning of our existence? What is our purpose? So people who are experiencing a lot of depressed mood, right, a lot of anxiety, there can be a lot of shame, right? A lot of self-blame about why something happened to them. Right. And so when you are feeling that way, like things are my fault or this wouldn't have happened if X, Y, Z, then it's sometimes it can be really hard to to find that space to say, this is how I should take up space. This is where I belong. This is my purpose in life. And so kind of looking at that component, too, I think is important. And then, of course, we talked about pleasure and then desire piece is just like. When I think of desire, I just think of it as like a want to want, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, and it's, it can be that simple. And so oftentimes when people are experiencing or going through the thrills of their trauma or healing journey, there sometimes can just be like no, no desire. Like I don't want to get out of the bed. I don't want to, so- I don't want to socialize. I want to isolate. I don't want to eat. Right. I'm sleeping a lot. I'm not sleeping at all. Whatever the case is. So really exploring how desire shows up or doesn't show up um, post trauma. Yeah. And I think all those things are really important when we're talking about sexual healing because it shows up there, too. Right. If, excuse me. And it's and it's also common, regardless if the trauma is related to sexual assault, sexual trauma, or if it's related to military combat trauma, or if it's related to a car accident, it's related to a mugging, whatever the case is, right? You often see these these uncertainties um, unfold in a very similar way. Mm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And how, as you're working through these things, um, or, or maybe jumping onto that, how do you see sexual self-esteem and self-care and... and, and, and anything where you, you see that you need it, maybe you can reach it or not from a trauma or, or another perspective. Like, how do you see being able to get there? And are there rituals that people can do to tap into self-esteem and self-care to be able to, to work through things? Mm. Well, first with self-care, um, sexual self-care, I think we just need to expound on it a little bit more because so often like when I'm working with clients and I just ask them like, oh, what's your sexual self-care? They're like, oh, you know, I need to have more sex. I need to masturbate more. I'm like, that's great. That's your goal. I can work with that. But sexual self-care goes deeper than just what you are doing sexually, right? It's about, um, you know, how you are engaging with your body. You know, it's about your understanding of your sexual choices. It's about you being able to advocate for your sexual needs, your reproductive needs, your contraceptive needs, right? And it's also about your physical, emotional, um, mental, and your social well-being, how that stuff is impacted by your sexual practices, practices and your behaviors. So when we're talking about rituals, um, when it comes to sexual self, um, I think it can be something as simple as when you wake up in the morning and you take a shower, 
different and you are engaging in with engaging in touch with your body in a way that's centrally pleasing, right? So how are we exploring the words of sexual and sensual where it can be a full body or an embodied experience with just yourself through self-massage, right? That can be sexual self-care. It doesn't have to be sex in the sense of a shared experience with the partner. It doesn't have to, of course, include any type of penetration. It doesn't have to include any genital play at all, right? It could be a gentle touch on the neck, right? Okay, let me stop doing that. So. (laughs) (laughs) Do what you're feeling. (laughs) Um, And so really looking at the different things that you can do for yourself, with yourself, um, by yourself that is sexually and sensually pleasing on a day-to-day basis, right? So I think when... When we think of anything that happens, that has to happen every day, first, it doesn't have to happen. That can be very overwhelming. But it's, again, that modified version. What can I do, maybe even for just one minute, to just recognize my body? Or maybe even what am I already doing that I can place that intention into? Yes. It means something more than I'm brushing my teeth or... We talked with someone who, who, who takes moments of when they're washing dishes. Mm-hmm. To like be mindful or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of space where they're in contact with an element of water. They're cleaning something and they're able to just zen out because that's where their focus is. Like using it as a meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our instructors uh, often talks about uh process of putting shea butter on and like needing to you know knead it and break it up and 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 that application Mm -hmm. holds a ritual for Mm -hmm. them absolutely yes lathering the body can be a really um welcoming experience for some folks and some people it could just feel like another test like okay so now let's take it even longer i just want to slap it on (laughs) it could be brushing your hair you know whatever you do that you can pour energy into in there. If you give energy into your hair, like that's something you're then taking with you all day. So you're carrying it with you and you you know, extrapolate on it, make it, make it work. (laughs) Make it work. Um, I love that. It reminds me of this place. I used to run an office space from and they had a a sign um, above the sink that was about basically clean up after yourself, but make it a mindful experience. Think about, you know, smell the the suds and think about the sounds, whatever the case is. So trying to get people to clean up after themselves. (laughs) (laughs) For those people who may be trying to um, incorporate a ritual, rituals um, into their life for the first time, mindfully for the first time, maybe they are already doing it and not realizing it. But, but trying to intentionally develop some rituals, what do you think are good starting points? Or like, are there good questions to start asking yourself? Do you know what would be a good place to start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to offer maybe two. I'm going to see how this conversation goes. But I, when, since we're talking about sexual wellness, I want to offer one around that first. Yeah. Um, so the first thing, of course, is how do I want to feel? Mm. But before you can answer that, you have to be in tune with how you're feeling. Yeah. Is it a feeling you want to expound on or are you trying to change your feeling? Right. So um, going from there, then you can decide on some things that, sh- that could help guide your next steps. 
So what am I feeling? How do I want to feel? How do I get there? Mm-hmm. What do I need to get there? Mm-hmm. So say we're talking about a sex ritual, a master, <clears throat> excuse me, a masturbation ritual. Oh my gosh, here yeah. we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm really big on, if we're going to be intentional about something, let's just go hard and go home, yeah. right? Really thinking about what do you want this environment to be? Like, what is this space you're trying to curate and be held in? Like, think of it that way. How do I want this space to hold me? Mm-hmm. And then that can help you decide, all right, do I need the sounds? Do I need to be wearing something that really turns me on, makes me feel good in my body? Or do I feel best in my body when I'm naked? Right? Yeah. Um, do I want to have any visuals? Like, do I need to reposition any mirrors? Right? Um, and you set up a camera. I mean, it's up to you. You can do whatever you want. It's your space. Right? Thinking about how to love and dote on yourself. So I did a guided meditation um, helping people get to like a masturbation ritual that included them like kissing themselves, kissing their shoulder, kissing their kissing their what's his hand, right? Um, massaging themselves before they even got to any type of genital play or stimulation, right? Mm-hmm. So how to just kind of send that energy, come on, um, that energy transfer to yourself and explore that. So I think really slowing down to think about uh, what is the experience that I want and how can I get there? Mm-hmm. And I think asking those questions can be replicated in so many situations, right? Yeah. yeah. So getting really good at um, doing that for yourself with yourself through a masturbation ritual can be really cool. And then, of course, having whatever tools and toys are going to help you explore, be great. That's going to be um, dildos or feathers or blindfolds, massage oils, whatever the case is. Make sure you have it near you so you don't have to disrupt the ritual. Like, oh, shit, I forgot to <laughs> I gotta run, throw on my robe, run over here, get another tool. So just, you know, slowing down to make sure you have everything that you need in the moment. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it also is then setting the intention. What is my purpose out of this? Right? Is it too de-stressed? Is it to go to sleep? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it is a sleep aid, everybody. Is it to relieve pain, right? Is it to orgasm? Is it to explore? Is it because I just got this new toy and I want to see what it's, what it's all about, right? So you can set that intention. And I think also doing that can be very helpful, especially when people um, have these messages that they're operating within about what they're supposed to experience with sex or masturbation, and having shame because maybe they didn't reach climax or orgasm and they feel like something is wrong with their body. Mm. Well, maybe if we set an intention that is removed from orgasming right now and it's just exploring, right? I have this new toy. My body has to get used to it. I have to get used to all these controls. I don't even know how to use it yet. So why am I adding on the added pressure of orgasm when it can just be, let me just see what it feels like. Let me just explore it. Let me see where can I use it? Can I use it in the shower or in the bathtub? Can it be part, oh, hold on, because I just thought about a masturbation water ritual, bathtub ritual, have to add that. Okay, so, <clears throat> but even like when I talked about pain, so someone who menstruates, right, you can do like um, a ritual around menstruation that also includes masturbation that can help with pain relief when we're talking about just cramps and things like that, right? So when you are really just taking a step back, there's so many different reasons why you might want to explore your body and through masturbation or a sensual way. 
But before you can get there, you just have to ask yourself these questions. Otherwise, you're just going to be doing a thing because everyone's talking about it online yeah. and you're not <laughs> you're not seeing the benefit of it or experiencing the pleasure that you wish or that you hear other people talk about. <clears throat> yeah, and we talked last month. Um, our our focus was on honoring and understanding the menstrual cycle, and that in and of itself has historically a lot of rituals associated to it because it's a time where we have the opportunity to be still and reflect. Um, and, and again, so it might not always in, in looking for accessible ways to incorporate rituals into your life, um, literally look at what, what you're dealt in life. See, see these, like that's literally a natural ritual that's being thrust upon you that you can either tap into and harness its potential power or ignore just like all of these, you know, they're there if you want them or not, or, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that you said that because, you know, I, in many, I won't even say in any specific society, there's a lot of um, period shaming. There's a lot of lack of information intentionally miseducation out there that um, lead people to, hate their bodies, right? To feel like this is the worst, this is the worst time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course there's people who experience a lot of pain, not even during um, like their period, but throughout the whole month because of ovulation and all these other things. And so I think, you know, some people do have added complexity around experiencing their body. And I think that's important to talk about even when we're talking about accessibility. Mm-hmm. or like body neutrality or body, you know, love. And it's like, there are a lot of real life things that people are experiencing um, that can make it a little bit more of a challenge. And so honoring that, I think can be, um, well, it's necessary, right? Because we can have this conversation and people feel really removed um, from it because of the way that they, their relationship that they have with their body. So I love that, that you mentioned that, but um there's so many, there's so many things that just exist naturally, like literally in nature that we don't think about that in itself is a ritual. It comes like this, you know, there's certain things that just align that happen. And if we can just tune into it, right. And maximize off of that power. <sighs> Amen. These can happen. <laughs> yeah, true. I'm wondering if, we can take a minute uh, with the time we have left and, and talk about Afrosexology for a minute too. I'm curious if there's rituals or ritual elements that you all at the organization promote or share. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a start, can you just talk about what Afrosexology is? Yes. So Afrosexology uh, was founded by myself and my co-founder Delicia saw in 2015. We've been out here for five years and a couple of months. So exciting. Um, and, you know, our work was really, found, so we went to graduate school together, got a master's in social work, and we didn't have a lot of classes. We didn't have any classes together, actually, because I was mental health trauma focused and they were um, social justice and focused. And so, but of course, we kept bumping to each other because it's a small, you know, place, whatever. And um, we both knew or found out that we had an interest in sex and sexuality. And I started, we started having these conversations about the experiences we didn't have in terms of sex education. Mm. Um, and 
what we wish we would have experienced. And we were looking like, who's doing this work? Like, what organizations are here um, that are doing this work? How can we be part of it? And we really couldn't find what we were looking for. So we were like, we can just do it. Why don't we just do it? You wanna, you wanna? <laughs> and in the midst of having these conversations before we actually thought to do it, um, I started having these really intimate conversations at my house where I would invite a lot of my friends and I would literally have like PowerPoint and cooked <laughs> it up to my TV, like showed it and I had sex toys on the table and we would just have like a circle where we just talk about different things. And so I did that a couple of times. And then we started having more conversations and we talked about starting our own thing and Afrosexology was born. So the mission behind Afrosexology, of course, is to um, like have that space where it's sex positive, pleasure-centered education um, that honors body, that honors autonomy, that centers consent. We do center around the Black experience or Afrosexology, though a lot of the information, of course, is um, useful for all folks, all bodies. And yeah, so it's a sex education platform that centers experiences of Black folks with the goal of healing and liberation. And we do this work because we know and we know that there is a direct correlation between our experience with our sexual self and our bodies that's linked to our social, political, and economic freedoms and liberation. So having this conversation about how to be in tune with ourselves, to know what we want in our desires, to understand consent and autonomy, to be able to have conversations with potential partners and even those who are in relationship, family, friends, whoever, um, in a way that is um, liberatory. Right. And we think that if we can do that and get a handle on that, then we can also start having these reflections with the way that we have relationships with government, with other um, entities that oppress us. So when you talk about pleasure politics up at the top, I, yeah. I mean, that's that is its own theme, monthly theme to get into. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I think it's really important. And I do not think that anybody mentions enough the tie of of our pleasure and our sexuality and politics mm -hmm. and all the different ways that that ends up race, breaking down race sex etc cetera, etc cetera, uh income status so kudos on that work thank you thank you we love it um the people love it <laughs> and we we always joke that like we created this work for ourselves and we just invited everyone else to, to join us um, so we thank all the folks who find the community that we absolutely intended to create because having these conversations is how we, we challenge the silence, we challenge the shame, because those things thrive with no communicating, right? Yep. If I'm feeling alone, if I'm feeling different, if I'm feeling other um, in this experience, I'm not going to talk about it, right? Because no one can relate to me. And so that, that helps it live, mm -hmm. right? That helps the oppressor continue to oppress when nobody's talking about the pain and the discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's why uh, one of the greatest benefits, I would even say like joys of this work is knowing that people get to see themselves. People know that there's a space they can come to for solid information, but also to just commune, you know, to just go to a safe space online and just leave their thoughts, comments, ask questions about sex, sexuality, liberation and pleasure mm. that resonates really close with us that's yeah
there's a lot of power in having those communities and having that communication and being able to speak your true self, like without the, well, perhaps we'll never be truly without, but as much as possible without the limitations and oppression of various political entities, Mm -hmm. idol entities. And in that work, are there rituals just as as a little bit of a tie up and uh, tie things together what we're talking about? Are there any rituals that that you do in some of the classes or self-esteem boosters? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, first I'll say that um, one ritual that we talk about quite often is like masturbation rituals. We talk about masturbation, masturbation, magic, um, sex magic and things like that. So that is heavily rooted in having a ritual around setting intentions and just having the space curated the way that feels good to you. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that shows up quite often. Um, We personally used to have like some rituals when we used to do like a lot. Well, because COVID, right? We used to travel a lot to do workshops, to do keynotes, go to universities, to whatever the case is. Um, so a lot of that looked like just the things that we enjoy together as we, you know, we're prepping, you know, if it's in the hotel, like what are we deciding to eat? How are we getting ready? How are we, you know, expressing, like boosting each other up and affirmations and things like that. So it's definitely part of the whole pleasure practice and um, process in terms of getting ready for this event. And then um, we're really intentional when we are in person with holding spaces in certain ways. So like making sure that there are circles um, so it's very traditional in, in like African history to to not have that hierarchy, right? To like have this community where we are together like this. Um, so sometimes we used to get so frustrated when we like, oh, so this is like an auditorium style. We can't sit in the circle. But how can we? How can we try to lower this wall where it's yes, we're the expert of information, but we're not the expert of you and your experiences and your body, right? We want it to be a sharing space where you put into the community, what you've learned, what you've taken away in other spaces, right? Um, To give people space to do that. And so, yeah, there's been like a lot of things with how we try to get to know each other. How do we try to make it a safe space with setting and exploring um, norms for the space? Um, Our icebreakers, typically very fun. So we've definitely found different ways to kind of have a pattern or ritual on how to engage with folks. Mm. Love that. Thank you. Yeah, it just made me miss it. I felt that from you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> we've, but you know, um, this year, of course, we've had our first like major online workshop, um, and people said that they were great. So we received that. Um, we were able to hold space in similar ways without the circle. It's okay, but um, yeah, it's just something to reflect on. It's, that piece, because again, that energy exchange, we were really concerned that it's not going to be the same, but you know, when you're still able to see people's faces and you can see a little bit into their environment, there's still the uh, capacity to share and exchange that positive healing energy. And we were definitely able to experience that even online. So Mm, I'm glad. Mm. Thank you so, so much your time and and your thoughts today. to do full circle, full cycle for the day. Um, could you share with us one more time the theory that you brought? 
Yes. So the theory is that healing work is pleasure work. And it's so true. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today. We hope that this episode's given you something further to reflect upon. And we really, truly hope that you reach out to us with any questions or insights on our Instagram page at Carnal Theory. Um, You can also check us out on my sex bio on Instagram. And definitely, definitely go check out all of Rafaela's work um, at the Healing Exchange on Instagram. That's Healing XCHG on Instagram, as well as at Afrosexology underscore. Uh, Also, HealingExchange.com. There's some amazing resources that we hope you delve into. Thank you so much for being on with us today. We really, really appreciate it. And I feel really grateful for this conversation. I feel the same. Thank you so much for having me. Carnal Theory is produced by My Sex Bio. Our sound design is by Audrey Cohane and our theme music by Men the Universe. My Sex Bio is an educational platform built to empower people like you to take command of your sexual biography. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, and Spotify at MySexBio. Visit our website and join our e-letter at MySexBio.org and support our work by joining our Patreon. Thank you.